Uh, today's scripture reading is going to come from two places. Uh, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So if you could please turn there first. And then we're also going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. So the first is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And then the second reading will come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I read an extra verse there, sorry. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Brian, for reading God's word. And, um, and good afternoon, New Hope. Uh, let's, uh, let's turn to our God again as we uh, look to his word to speak to us. Father, we thank you for who you are, that you are a good, good father. And so we pray that um, as you speak to us, you'll speak through your word into our hearts and minds. I pray that I will recede into the background, that your voice will come to the foreground and convict our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we started a few weeks ago on a, what we call church covenant series uh, of sermons. It will be an 11-week series that we're going through. And last week, Pastor Rob preached on the importance of gathering as a church family, as a commitment to one another. And today's topic of our church covenant is about discipling our families. So I want to read this together, this covenant. So let's, uh, let's actually read this together in unison. We will endeavor to bring up those that at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family, and friends. So the words in our covenant talks not only about our immediate family, but also about our friends. But uh, due to the limited time, we'll just focus on the family. And, and it's not that the friends are not important, but uh, hopefully the, the words that we speak today will actually apply to how we relate to our friends as well. But today we'll primarily focus on what it means for us to disciple our families in particular for us to be godly parents to our children. And I know that not all of you are parents, but I believe that what God has speak to us and what we will study together will be relevant for all of us, even if you are not parents today, especially for those, because there are many of you who are involved in our Sunday school, in our youth group ministry. 
And also, we pray, I mean, we, and I trust that even for the youth group students that are gathered here, that these, the message, and obviously you're not parents, but you do have parents, and the message will be relevant for you because you'll be able to understand the motivation behind the type of things, the type of spiritual disciplines that your parents are trying to instill at home with you. So before we start looking at our text, I want to point to a very good book. Um, I know some of you have read this. This is uh, called Disciple Making Parent by author named Chap Bettis. Uh, he was here a few times, and in fact, earlier this year, he gave a, a really good sermon, or a really good seminar on, parent, on parenting. So if you, have, if you weren't here, you're welcome to go back to, uh, or in fact, I encourage you to go back to um, the sermons from, uh, I believe, April or May, uh, March or April timeframe. Uh, and we have a few copies of the book, so uh, if you don't have a copy, please come up at the end, at the end of the service and uh, pick, up, pick up a copy. And if, you don't, if we run out, we'll, we'll be happy to get additional copies for you as well. So this afternoon, I'd like to look at what the Bible teaches about family discipleship in four sections. One, what is the purpose? Who is responsible? And what do we teach when we disciple? And how do we teach? So first, what is the purpose of Christian discipling or family discipling or Christian parenting? So what is the goal of parenting according to the Bible? Is it to have well-behaved kids? Or is it to raise up successful citizens? And these are all good goals. But should they be the main things for, for us as Christians as we parent our children. So let's go all the way back to the Genesis in the scripture to understand the goal of parenting according to what the Bible is teaching us. God created Adam and Eve in his image and God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because he wants his image to spread, multiply and spread through the world for his glory as people bear his image. But it does not stop when we bear the children. God gave the parents the responsibility to raise them up in God's image. So our children are made in God's image, but that image has been distorted by sin that came into the world. So even from when they are born, they are sinners. As, uh, as we announced last week, we, had a, we, have, we just had a newborn at our church. Jason and Sana had a bo uh, little girl. And I believe in about January, February time, we'll have a, another set of 708 new children being born. But even from the time when they're born, they're born sinners because of the sin that came into the world. So then in our parenting, we want to help our children to be transformed to bear the true, undistorted image of God, to reflect the character of Jesus. In other words, parenting is a commission to do all that we can so that our children will be gradually changed into the image of Christ. Or to put it simply, parenting is about discipling, discipling our children that is to help them become followers of Jesus. 
Here we are using the term disciple to mean helping others to follow Jesus. So throughout the message, I'll actually use these two terms, parenting and discipling, somewhat interchangeably. A recent study indicates that nearly half, 43% to be exact, of all Americans who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they do so before they reach the age of 13. And that two out of three born-again Christians made their commitments before they turned 18. The statistics show that teaching and discipling our children at home and at church when they are young is immensely important for their eternity. This is also why we have such a strong emphasis for our children's ministry and youth ministry. And for each of you, and there are many of you who are in the children's ministry and the youth ministry, we thank you. You are making a huge difference in the welfare of our child. Whether they become Christians or not is not in our power, but what God does. We cannot control the outcome, but we want to be faithful in discipling our children so that they would hear and see the gospel in our home and in church. And one day, they will come to know Jesus and be conformed to his image. And for those of us who are, for those of us who are parents, we are painfully aware that we have difficulty as parents in discipling our children. My wife and I have two children, and we have made many mistakes in raising our children. After the service, you can ask Julia about all those mistakes. <laughs> but this is why we need a community to help do this together. This is why it is in our church covenant. So who is responsible? If that's the purpose, to disciple, to help them follow Jesus, who is responsible for doing this? So let's look to an example mentioned in the Bible. In his letter to young Timothy, Apostle Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy has learned the scriptures from childhood, has now become a leader in the early church. And another, the next verse, 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us how he learned it. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Young Timothy was taught the scriptures by his mother, Lo mother Eunice, and his grandmother Lois. You see, Timothy was influenced to follow the Lord by the living faith of the people in his home. Yes, our children can learn about God and come to know Jesus through the various different people, including friends and people in our church. But even today, studies have shown that moms and dads remain the most powerful influencers of children and their faith. In part, the text of our covenant is taken directly from the King James Version of today's passage, Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
In, the, in more today's language, in ESV version, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesians because he wants to explain to them or help them to understand, now that they are believers, how should they live their lives at home as husbands and wives and in their workplace. So in this part of the letter, Paul is instructing the church how the parents are to raise their children in their homes. The verse is addressed to the fathers, but the context of the passage makes it clear that both the parents are responsible for discipling their children. It's both moms and dads are responsible for discipling their children. But it's also interesting to note that this address to the fathers was a very countercultural statement. In fact, the, the, the readers at that time would have been actually shocked by this, by this address to the fathers. Because in the Greco-Roman world, when this letter was written, the fathers had supreme authority at home, even legally being allowed to punish their children by death if they, they thought so. So Paul is addressing the father specifically to show them that as Christ followers, they are to go against what the culture is telling them as a normal way to behave as fathers. They're not to be authoritarian at home, but to lovingly bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The parents are responsible to teach about God at home. But you might be thinking, isn't that why we come to church and send our kids to Sunday school? And yes, we are very glad that you and your children are here. And coming to church is an important part of your family discipleship. As a church, we are doing our best to provide gospel-centered teaching through the Sunday school and the youth group ministry. And it is our prayer that your children will learn the biblical truth and come to know Jesus in their early ages. That is our constant prayer when we meet as elders together. But as much as we try, we have the children only a few hours per week, one to three hours at most. You have them most of the rest of the week, even for those couples who are working, both working. So you have the most influence for your children, which is why the Bible makes it clear that the primary role in teaching our children the Christian faith belongs to the parents. 19th century British pastor Charles Spurgeon said, it is the parents, fathers in particular, and not the church, who are given the primary responsibility for calling the next generation to hope in God. The church serves a supplementary role, reinforcing the biblical nurture that is occurring in the home. Sunday schools and youth group cannot replace the parents. Your families is meant to be the primary place of discipleship, and church can assist you. So if you can agree that the parents have the primary responsibility to disciple our children, we need to know what it is that we are to teach. 
So let's look at uh, Ephesians 6, 4 passage again. The first part of the passage, the first part of Paul's instruction is negative. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, very similar, past, similar statement. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul is giving this command to the fathers because we fathers tend to provoke or exasperate our children to anger or to discouragement. For many of you who are fathers, can you relate to this? Am I too busy to spend time with my children? Do I give space for my children, especially for teenagers, to disagree with me or to ask difficult questions? Or am I prone to blame and criticize but not praising or affirming enough? Or am I too quick to get angry and slow to listen? And do I seek forgiveness when I sin against them? Fathers and mothers, this is not just an advice. This is a direct command from the scripture that we do not exasperate or discourage our children. So moms and dads, when we are discipling our children, especially when we are trying to correct them, let's examine our hearts, whether our responses, our actions are in line with the gospel. Will our children see more of the transforming power of grace in the gospel or see the harsh judgmental attitude that discourages them and draws them away from the gospel. In our passage, after the negative warning, Paul then tells us to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The phrase, bring them up, is the same meaning as to nourish. But it is not enough to raise the children physically by providing food and shelter and clothing. Scripture is telling us that we must also nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In the NIV translation, it says to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So training and instruction or discipline and instruction. The second word, instruction, is easy to, to understand as it is about verbal teaching that also comes with warning or admonition in terms of how the children are to be. The first word, ESV, in the, I mean, in the ESV it says discipline, is translated as training in the NIV. So that word most likely refers to the habits or behavior that we develop through practice, through training, such as training to go to church each week or training to read the Bible. Many of our children play soccer uh, at our church, and if you want to be good at it, you don't just read the instruction manual. You practice, you train. So we need both instruction and practice or training. So what are we to teach and train them on? It's not merely moralistic teaching, but that which is of the Lord. That is teaching that focus of child's faith and hope on God. We want to teach them what God has said about himself 
and his relationship to us. And Bible is where he has revealed his truth. You see, without the Bible, our natural inclination is to imagine a God that looks like us, but perhaps more moral, more powerful. But the God revealed in the Bible will surprise us. And so we need to study the Bible to know God. And when we teach the Bible to our children, sometimes it's easy to focus on good moral rules or good behavior. Because the Bible does say a lot about how we ought to be kind and gentle and loving and truthful. And these are all good things to teach. But the Bible is not about good character development. All the children will become to have good character. Bible is not a good advice book. It's about God revealing himself to us. Parents, there will be many situations where we have to teach them about behavior and control their behavior. But if that's all we do, we'll encourage our children to become religious rule keepers who try to follow without the heart of love towards God. And we have to remember that more than any one group of people, Jesus repeatedly rebuked the Pharisees for their outward behavior while neglecting the heart. We do not want to produce well-behaving legalists. So then what do we teach when we discuss the Bible with our children? We focus on the Bible's main storyline, that is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Even though moral rules are good and they help us understand our sins, the Bible's main storyline from Genesis to Revelation is about God's plan for salvation for mankind who failed to keep the rules. It's about God sending Jesus into the world to deliver us from the punishment for our sins. It's about God who loves sinners and loves to save and wants a relationship with us, not based on our merit, but on what Jesus has done and only on what Jesus has done on the cross. So when we teach the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, goal is to show how God is working through the history to show his love us, to show that he loves us and give us Jesus. As the author Sally Lloyd-Jones says, as a subtitle of a Jesus story of the Bible, which I believe many of you have a copy of, every story whispers his name. So we must help our children understand the sins behind their behavior and at the same time the hope that we have in Jesus who forgives us our sins. And as the children come to believe in the beauty and the power of the gospel, they will be motivated to obey God and change their behavior. So if that's what we are to teach, the main storyline of the Bible, or what Jesus has done and how Jesus is revealed throughout the scripture, how should we teach our Bible to our children? So here we want to turn to the Old Testament passage that uh, Brian read from Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 7. Let me read that passage again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. <clears throat> and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Verse 6 says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So it tells us that before we can teach these truths to our children, they need to be on our heart first. The heart is the center of who you are. For something to be on your heart means it has to embody your total being. And if God's words are not on your heart, you cannot bake it especially in front of your children. What's the number one reason that children who grew up in a Christian home walk away from Jesus? It's when they see hypocrisy in their parents. Children are watching your example. Your life is teaching them either that the gospel is beautiful or that gospel doesn't mean much in your life. Our children will see whether you love God and his word by what they see you do. This is why our covenant language also includes that by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. What we are excited about reveals our living faith. So if I ask your children what are most important to their parents, what would, they, what would they say? What would be on their list? Has the gospel changed how they live? Does the gospel prioritize how they spend their Sundays, their weekdays? Let's take a, just a, maybe a couple of ways, a couple of ways that we can be good example or godly examples to our children. So first, we have to be the people, we the parents, have to be the people who love God's word. So moms and dads, the truth of God must first be on our hearts. We cannot pass on to children what is not first in our own hearts. This means that we, the parents, must saturate ourselves in the word of God and get to know the one true God. God has revealed himself to us in his word. And so we must continually listen, read, and talk about the word of God. I'm thankful that many of you are participating in our men and women's discipleship group studies. And these groups are to help you study the word of God together in a group to get to know God. Studying God's word, whether it's in a group or individually, must become a regular habit. And they will set a, just a tremendous example for your children. Another important example, by way of weekly rhythm, is to bring your children to church each Sunday. Parents, as Pastor Rob preached last Sunday, let's prioritize our Sunday gathering over children's birthdays, sports activities, or golf or fishing trips. 
Let's make corporate worship the top priority of your family, as Pastor Rob urged us last week. God commands his people to gather weekly for worship. God has, his com God has given us his command because we need it, and your children need it. Faithful church attendance will have an eternal impact for your family. We know that there are many activities that, that demand family or children's attention on Sundays. But instead of simply following what our culture expects us to do, we can evaluate our choices and also help our children make the right choices with a biblical lens. And I'm thankful that many of you are doing this already as your priority. And many of you are here today. So, for example, it was wonderful to hear from a student in our church that although his soccer team practices and has games on Sundays, he has told the coach that he would not play the games on Sunday afternoons. For our family, when our children were growing up, our son James, was in, when he was in high school, he was recruited by a very competitive swim club. And he really wanted to be, be part of it. But he chose not to join when he found out their swim meets were mostly going to be on Sundays. We didn't tell him that he should not join. We did discuss it together, but we did not tell him that he should not join. He decided that because going to church on Sunday had become a regular habit for him. So skipping church to attend swim meets would have been very strange. And I remember another incident when our children were growing up. Our family was all coming back from a trip to West Coast on Sunday. And just the way the flights worked out, we would, we would have missed our Sunday worship service uh, at New Hope. Julia at the time was a freshman in high school. And I remember she was very disturbed and very sad that we would miss our Sunday worship. And then she remembered the Redeemer downtown in New York City had a 5 p.m. service. So we could just make it if we go directly from the airport to, to the worship service. And we did. And we, we got to worship together with the people in Redeemer. I understand that each family situation is different. And each child situation is different. But I hope that you will at least consider your priorities in light of the goal of helping our children follow Jesus. We can help our children follow their interests, but at the same time, prioritize worshiping God together. And parents, we will not be perfect examples, not even close. We will not be loving God, loving our children. We will not be loving our spouse or God's word perfectly. But we can also admit to our children that we are weak and we fail, and that's why we need God's help. Our weakness displays our need for a Savior that we need to depend on God. Chad Battis, the author of the book, says, in the, in, says this, uh, these words, my children's greatest need is not a parent who pretends to be perfect. Much more important is a parent who senses his need for the Savior to cleanse and the spirit in power. The godliest parent is the one who says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong.
So moms and dads, let's not be afraid to show our mistakes and weaknesses to our children. But we can show that God's grace is sufficient in all circumstances. And when we fail, we also confess our failures and we let them know that we are also sinners who need forgiveness and who need a savior. Confessing sin, seeking forgiveness, repenting and committing to battle sin, these are all essential aspects of modeling gospel at home, encouraging our children to do the same. Gospel frees us from trying to be perfect or trying to make our kids perfect because we get our identity from Jesus, not from our children. So we teach first and foremost by being gospel-loving examples to our children. So let's look at the next verse of our Deuteronomy passage where it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The first phrase says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So we do this discipling diligently. To be diligent means to be steady, earnest, and energetic in all of our efforts. It also means to act with speed, haste. Parenting is hard work and requires diligence to take care of even the basic physical needs of our children. And training their hearts will require as much diligence on our parts. It takes work. And it's easy for us to neglect this in the midst of many, many things that keep us and our children very busy. But diligence means we don't give up. Diligence means we prioritize plan and act on discipling our children. So parents, our children are being discipled by something, someone else, if not by you. According to a recent Gallup study on the effects of social media, the average time spent on social media ranges from four hours for a 13-year-old to as high as six hours per day for 17-year-olds. Can you imagine six hours per day for 17-year-old teenagers living in your house? And girls spend nearly an hour more on social media than boys. If we are not being diligent about discipling our children, the world and its social media will aggressively take our place. Deuteronomy 6-7 also tells us a few practical ways to do this teaching diligently. It says, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So we teach it diligently when we sit, when we walk, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, we are to do this teaching all the time. And we can learn from how Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus used a variety of methods. At times, he lectured, such as the Sermon on the Mount. He told stories. He used objects in real life to make a spiritual point. Many times, he asked questions. He took advantage of teachable moments always and everywhere. Let's take each phrase of the verse we just read 
and see practically how we can apply. So when we sit in the house, so when we are sitting together at home, it's the opportunity to do something more regular, perhaps dedicated time. So daily or weekly family worship will fall into this. I know for one family in New Hope, Sunday dinner is their family Bible time when they discuss that day's sermon together over a meal. And it can take many different forms. You can simply use a time you already have, such as during dinner like this family. And there are many good resources we can help you with for this sit-down training. A really good tool, whether they're young children or older children, is children's catechism. You might remember for those of you who are here during the COVID days, uh, which is a really long time ago, we, we taught catechism uh, during our Sunday services. And there are simpler versions of this as well that you can teach even to two and three-year-olds. And catechism is, a, is, a, is an old way, a very good way of using simple question and answers to teach them about God. And our family were surprised uh, just last week to learn that our three-year-old grandson, Ezra, had memorized first 20 questions of the catechism. So, for example, when I ask number, question number 17, how did God create man? He would enthusiastically answer, God created man, male and female, after his own image. Our children love to learn and love to memorize. And we can help them. Now, he may not quite fully understand what that all means, but God will use the words that he internally hid in his heart to awaken his heart so that he will come to know Jesus, he will come to know God. And that's our prayer. On the Gospel Coalition website, there was a recent article by a young college student. It says, even though my parents didn't get everything right, they did give me consistent, structured exposure to the Bible. Their commitment to having family Bible time helped shape my view of Scripture, even how I handled failing at reading it. They not only told me, but showed me what the Bible is worth and how to study it. Through Bible time, I learned the value of persevering, both in seeking God and in putting sin to death. Yeah, this is from 18-year-old girl. Uh, it's beautiful. This is a worthwhile habit for us to develop as a family. So when we walk, here we are teaching while we are walking or driving together or playing together. We're having conversations and not lectures. We're not preaching to them, but listening to them, responding to their questions and asking questions. We're talking about every moment aspect of teaching. For many of us, for those of you who are parents, we are probably driving your children to piano lessons or soccer practice several hours a week. What a wonderful opportunity to discuss hard, discuss hard issues and what the Bible teaches. It could be a time to discuss this week's sermon or what they learned in the youth group or something you are reading together. 
which is something that the child is struggling with. I have a friend who used to be at New Hope and is now living in Korea. He shared with me that when his daughter was young, she used to take violin lessons once a week. So he would drive a 20, drive a 20 minutes each way. And he said that these times were the most wonderful times because they led to just wonderful conversations about God and her faith. And daughter is faithfully following the Lord today. And we can teach during whatever the day's activities may be, whether they are playing or even when you are correcting by showing grace, explain that we all need Christ. We all need a Savior. And these are all gospel teaching moments. And when you lie down, this is a time to read a Bible story or pray together before the children go to bed. It's time to reflect, give thanks for what God has done for us during the day, reflecting on God's goodness, and perhaps discussing about anything they need to confess and repent of. It's so encouraging to hear from a number of your families that many of you are regularly reading from various children's Bibles with your children and praying with your children before you put them to bed. And if you need help with uh, what, which type of Bibles to use, we'll be happy to uh, point them to you or provide them for you. And when you rise, this may be a time when we can be seeking the Lord together to ask for help for that day, to trust God for whatever is ahead of them. Perhaps this is, involves something as simple as just praying together over breakfast or reciting a scripture that you've been memorizing together. Kristen and I were uh, um, visiting a young family recently at New Hope, and they have two little children. And we were so happy to hear that in the midst of their morning rush, because they both work, they make time to read the children's Bible with their children, and they sing and pray together before they go off to work. Yeah, and these are, just, these are just good habits to form together as a family. I hope you see a pattern. Every moment of the day is a teaching moment, and it will look different for each family. And you don't necessarily have to set aside a big chunk of time to do this. Bible is telling us our teaching, our discipling can be and should be part of a normal activity during the day. We can either be faithful in using these moments to teach and shape, help shape our children's hearts or something else, someone else, and the world will do that for us. And I've said a lot of things we need to do. And you may be saying, Ah, this is just too much. We're not capable of doing this. We're too weak. So let's ask for help from each other. And this is why it's in our covenant to help each other. And most importantly, let's turn to God and ask for his help. We have a good, good father who loves us, who loves to give us wisdom and power to be able to help his children to bear their children. We need God's help, so we pray. We want to be diligent in praying for our children. 
So we desperately pray for us to grow in wisdom as parents and for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of their children because only the Holy Spirit can give them a new heart to delight in God. And I'm thankful for many of the the sisters at our church, many of the moms at our church who are praying together as part of Moms in Prayer ministry. Um, And that's just a wonderful ministry. And I encourage you to continue to do so. Apostle Paul did not have children, but he prayed for his spiritual children. And here's an example of his prayer that we can also use. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That would be a good prayer for us to pray for our children daily. So let's keep asking our loving Father to help us be loving parents to our children. My goal this afternoon is for us to see the importance and seriousness of the calling for the sake of our children and for the kingdom. God has given us the responsibility. And do we care enough about children's eternity to do things according to what the Bible is teaching us? Or do we care more about their worldly success? How we disciple our children will be different for each family. And my hope is not to make you feel guilty or be overwhelmed, but actually to relieve you from trying to do too many things for your children. Instead, focus on what's important, especially what's important for their eternity and what the Bible is teaching us to prioritize. And Jesus said in in the Gospel of Mark, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? God has entrusted our children to our care, to nurture physically and to nourish their hearts, to help them to know Jesus and to follow him. Through everyday teaching moments and through our, hopefully, our life examples, let's teach our children to know and love God. And as church, let's come alongside each other to help and to encourage one another. I want to end with this uh, encouragement from Billy Graham. The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. That is the legacy we want to leave with our children. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you have given us your own son, Jesus, so that we can be adopted as your sons, and we can call you as our father. And thank you for your word that shows us your steadfast love over us. So help us as parents to love our children in the way you love us. 
demonstrating the gospel. Give us wisdom to disciple our children well. And we do pray that our children will come to know Jesus at young ages and follow him. And at the same time, help us to trust you fully as our loving father so that our children will trust us and ultimately trust you as their heavenly father. We pray that we will value having the gospel as the center of our lives, the center of our family, and as part of the extended church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.